Welcome to the Men at Work podcast, episode number 18. I'm your host, Travis Streb. Today, we've got a special Father's Day episode of the Men at Work podcast with Scott Beeson. Scott is famous for his book called The Working Dad Survival Guide. Uh, Beyond being an author, uh, Scott is also a PhD researcher, lecturer and professor at Fairleigh Dickinson University on the topic of work and family balance, men in the workplace, and other super interesting topics. He's also a father himself, and we talked a lot about that in the cast. Scott's been featured all over the place, Harvard Business Review, Huffington Post, Time, Fast Company, Wall Street Journal, among many other places. So he's got a great voice and just a ton of wisdom to share. I love this conversation because it's so grounded in reality. I mean, Scott is a father and talks a lot about how that influences his research. We also talked a lot about how Scott ended up um, studying this work-family balance part. Um, (laughs) And, you know, it wasn't a super popular topic when he first did his his PhD. There were a lot of people telling him maybe that wasn't the best area to focus on. We also talked a lot about dual loyalties that uh, men and women both face in the workplace around, you know, do I have to choose one? Do I have to either be loyal to family or loyal to home and how that shows up? We talked about how women are supporting men and why they're interested in supporting men to achieve better balance and to show up differently in the workplace. And we also talked about Scott's next book, which he is working on now, which is targeted at employers, um, big and small to help them understand how they can create more appropriate and more supportive policies that work for both men and women and work for the organization. All right, without further ado, let's jump in to the Father's Day special episode of the Men at Work podcast with Scott Beeson. Scott, it's so good to have you on the on the podcast. Um, I can't. I don't know how I missed it. I must have been living under a rock doing all this work in the world of men at work. But I came across your name. People recommended it, and then I saw that you had this book, you know, the Working Dad Survival Guide. So I'm like, oh, he's an author. So I looked you up, and it's like, no, no, no. You started off as an academic, and you're still you're still researching, which I love because you're actually looking at data, not just going, here's what I think I'm seeing in the world of of working dads. So how did you move um, your research into this book? And I mean, obviously, there must be a personal connection here. Maybe you can give us and my listeners a bit of a backstory on you and your work and your authorship. Yeah. So, um, well, first off, thanks for having me. Um, and yeah, so i I started researching um, my doctoral research in 98, 99, um, looking at workplace flexibility, and that got me into looking at work and family. And I very quickly, you know, was looking at every all the work that's been done and what companies have been doing. And so much of it, almost 100% of it, was, was really focused on supporting working mothers so they don't drop out of the workforce and you can retain them. And, and of course, that's a real pressing issue. So that it, that 
it makes perfect sense. But it, it always struck me that um, half of the parents in the world are fathers and they're not being addressed in this. So um, I had that in the back of my mind. And then I, you know, kind of traditionally doing kind of my, my teaching at a business school at Fairleigh Dickinson University and um, uh, continuing to do research into things like workplace flexibility and work family policy. Um, I always had this eye out for, um, you know, there's, there's real audiences being missed here, right? You know, after I got tenure and I got promoted, I get a little more freedom in the things I, I can do. So I was having kind of my, I kind of joked about it and called it my mid-career crisis. Um, and because I was doing very well in what I was doing as an academic. And, um, but one of the things that's frustrating for, for, someone like me, I guess, an extrovert who's also an academic researcher is, you know, you write the stuff, right? And it takes a long time to write it. And it's a long time to get it published. The cycle time is ridiculous. It's like over a year and a half in most cases. And it gets read by like the 200 other people who were in your field. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of it. And I really wanted to have more impact. And once I, you know, got to this point where I could have a little more freedom in, in what I choose to do in my career. So I, I decided I really wanted to be more public facing in my work, do a lot more public facing work. So I was thinking who really needs good information, you know, based on research, based on real things that companies are doing, based on real, you know, scientifically collected data, um, who could use this information on how to better manage work and family issues um, than the working parents themselves and also employers and um, and then when I looked at working parents, I'm like, yeah, lots of other people got the working moms stuff going on. Um, I think I can add something pretty unique to um, you know to really getting information for working dads out there. So that's a long-winded answer. But um, so in around 2012, um, you know, I was like, I want to start doing some public-facing stuff. So I started. I dipped my toes in with uh, my blog, uh, which is FathersWorkAndFamily.com, and you know, it, it was a little like, I don't know, like, I, I don't know if there's going to be an audience for this. I don't know if this is really going to take off. And um, it took off rather quickly and grew rather rapidly. Um, and I don't think it was because I'm some super genius. I think it was because there's real, as you were saying, there's real need for this information. Um, you know, every dad I know cares a lot about his work and cares a lot about being a good dad and is trying to do both. And, you know, there's just a void of information uh, for, for lots of dads. So I started blogging in 2012, which also taught me how to write as a human being again, as opposed to an academic. Um, you know, I could use like, uh, you know, active verbs and, you know, first person perspective and things like that. Right. And so, I, you know, I, I'm proud of what, what I've written over the years at Father's Work and Family, a lot of relatable stuff, but also gets, you know, some some advice and encouragement uh, through. And um, eventually that got me a platform where I could get a book deal. And then that there came the Working Dad Survival Guide, uh, which I'm really, really proud of. Um, and it's advice and encouragement for working dads, you know, to think through priorities, things you could do at work, things you could do at home, ways to like make sure you're networking with other dads and building kind of a support system for yourself. And, you know, uh, the best response I got from it was when I sent it out to other authors to get like blurbs and stuff. Um, this one author said, wow, this book tells you everything you need to know. And like, it's really thorough and, you know, based in fact, but it reads like 
there's a friend talking to you at a barbecue and, and mm. that, that was really kind of what I was going for. Um, anyway, so, um, that got me into that. And then the book kind of got me more into doing speaking and consulting and working directly with employers. And I'm very proud of that work. Um, in part because working with the employers helps me reach working parents right when they need the information, right? Right when they need to hear how the, here, here's the things you'll be dealing with now that you're becoming a parent or, um, here's how to manage taking your, your parental leave and then coming back from your parental leave and, you know, things you might want to consider in terms of, uh, managers and employees talking to each other about how things are going to work and, and, and stuff like that. So that's kind of a long journey. That's my professional journey. Um, I became a father in 2005. Um, and of course that's a, like a life changing, uh, eye opening experience. And you know, the, the nature of my work is, you know, I'm a college professor. So I, um, you know, there's like 20, 25 hours a week. I need to be on campus specifically at a place doing things, but most of the rest of my work I could do at home at night, wherever on my laptop. And so that kind of flexibility really enabled me to be a very present active father. Um, and also since my wife has a weird career, um, in a lot of ways I had to be like the on call parent and the parent who, um, you know, was the one that the, the school would call or, you know, things like that. And it's a lot of work being an active involved dad. Um, but I found it's really be a privilege and I feel so grateful that really I had this, this opportunity to really be present throughout, you know, my now 14 year old son's, uh, life. So, um, there's, yeah. there's, yeah, that's my story, I guess. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a great story though, because it, there's, there's the research component and then there's the real life component of like, okay. Hey, hang on a second. I'm also a dad. I'm dealing with the same stuff. And you almost accidentally fell into active parenting, which yeah. is what a gift. Yes, absolutely. Well, I didn't really, I, I mean, I, I always had a print a paternal instinct. My dad was very good kind of hands-on for his era dad. Um, and I always had a pull towards that. So, um, you know, I don't feel like, like, um, you know, I went into it, you know, not thinking I'd want to be an involved dad, but being one um, really is a transformative thing. You know, a lot of books like these self-helpy books or, you know, like you could do this better book or a career guide or whatever, you know, it, it's reads like an expert who's trying to really like tell you everything. Um, and I think being a dad uh, and being an active dad kind of lets you know, like, you know what? No one's really the expert on these things, right? Every kid is different. Every family dynamic is different. So I think that's really important that I, I have that experience. So, you know, again, I think the book contains some advice and encouragement, but it's a lot more about, hey, here are the questions you, dear reader, my new friends, you, you got to think through and I'm going to help you think through it. but. I, like, I can't tell you what to do. I mean, your kid's different than mine. Your situation's different than mine. And so, you know, it's, you know, one of the things I'm, I, I really aimed to do with the Working Dad Survival Guide is not to write like some expert on a hill, you know? So, um, and I try to do that as a business school professor too. Like, uh, you know, many of my colleagues like put on airs like they're this big expert and they're telling the truth, you know, and uh, um, I'm a lot more with my students like, Hey, here's the subject area. Let's explore it together. What do you think? You know, 
uh, especially teaching management and human resource management and how to be a supervisor. You know, so much of that is situational that the best you could do is like prepare somebody with a mindset and a perspective and hope they can make the right decision as they go. It's not finance and accounting where there are formulas. Um, so, um, yeah, it's not an easy, you know, when you're dealing with human beings, um, you know, you and I, you and I swim in the, in the, in the same lane and a lot of this stuff. Um, I think what I, what I take away though, from, you know, your blog and your content it is very, it's very personalized and it's, it has the right level of humility with also the balance of like, you've actually done research on this stuff. Yeah. And what I'm really curious about is, you know, between your research and then all the work you're doing, like you're doing consulting too. So you have both these things. What are you seeing out there in, in the world of, of working dads? Like what are some things that really stand out for you as either being, you know, great or like, woo, we got to work on this. Yeah. So I, I think that what always strikes me is there's no like one state of working fathers <laughs> or there's no one like here's what employers are doing it just varies so much and um you know there are some real leading employers who are doing great stuff they tend to be the bigger employers in industries that are really like fighting for like talent um in tech and in finance and you know uh, even in law firms now and uh, pharmaceutical companies that are really um you know, that are really keen on retaining great employees, um, they're doing a lot of great work. They have very advanced uh, parental leave policies that are offered, you know, equally to men and women. Um, they, they have more generous flex policies. They're doing creative things with time off and with being able to work from home and things like that. Um, and then there are employers where this is, has never been on their radar. Um, uh, you know, there, there are communities and places and dads I've talked to who are like, man, you know, I took six weeks off and I wish I had more. And there are other dads I've talked to and met who were like, yeah, I was back at work two days later and I don't see the point. Um, you know, I would just get in the way. You're like, well, what would I do? Um, and, you know, it's just, it's, it varies so much. Um, and um, so th that's one of the things that, that really gets me is that I wish there were like a more, more of an agreement or a national policy in the United States on, or a cultural agreement more, more importantly about, you know, yeah, you know, we need to support fathers at certain critical points of them becoming fathers and, and other critical points of being a father, even if it means, you know, we have to bends a little bit or accommodate them a little bit at these, these points in time. And again, some employers get in. I've worked with some great employers. I've also kind of, I've, um, I've worked, I, um, I tried to work with this other employer who just didn't get me or the project at all. And they could not have hated me more. Um, after I gave them my spiel, uh, they were just, they, they looked at me like I had two, two heads or something. And, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you know, you called me in, you know, it wasn't a, um, Anyway, but that's fine. Um, and yeah, so th that's what I see is that it varies so much. And, you know, so, and the other thing is there's a difference in companies between the policy and then like the reality, right? Um, you know, yeah. there are some companies that have like, hey, we, we offer this great parental leave even for dads, but you better not take it because like, 
you know, then you're going to come under suspicion, you know, or, you know, the culture would reject this or, you know, your boss or your coworkers will, will think differently of you. And there's a lot of research that shows that there's real stigma um, in many places attached to being a visibly involved active father. Um, so in some cases, there's a fatherhood bonus, like that's been part of the research that, you know, dads, uh, men who become fathers tend to be thought of better, um, I guess, because like we're responsible and tied down now and things like that. Um, so there, there's been some research that in, in companies, they tend to be thought of better and given better assignments and, and given more responsibility. Uh, but there's also, I think, a visible active fatherhood penalty that really mirrors what women uh, all working women face. Like, I think working women have faced, um, you know, it, it's whether they're fully responsible for their parents, uh, for their children or not, whether, you know, the, you know, they have an active uh, partner or not. It's almost like presumes women in the workplace are going to have these like dual split loyalties, right, between work and being a mother taking care of the household. Um, and that's just presumed, but I think for almost all working women, uh, even those who don't have kids, it's like, well, at some point they're gonna, and they're not going to be able to be relied upon. And so they don't get asked to, they don't, they're not given job assignments that maybe involve travel or that, um, they're not groomed for five years later because it's presumed they're going to go off track by that time or something like that. Even if, you know, they're fully ahead and they got, they got everything covered. Um, and I think, uh, people who are visibly involved fathers in a lot of workplaces uh, face the same, you know, stigma of like that you have dual loyalties, not just your loyalty to work, but your loyalty to your family, God forbid. Um, and, you know, so in many workplaces, it's not safe to like out yourself as an involved dad. And I think, you know, if there's one thing I could change kind of in the world, it would be that it would be that, you know, people could be their whole selves um, and bring that to work and have that be respected um, by employers and, you know, kind of understood. Yeah, it's like a dirty secret. And yes, um, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting, because, you know, looking at the research, you know, you've got the you've got the backbone to say, yeah, this is a real thing. I mean, I've, I've worked with clients that are they're petrified and, and this is in Canada where we like we have right. we have more let's say we have more egalitarian parental leave policies mm -hmm. generally speaking uh, you know I've got I've got clients where it's like they're not even forget the parental leave like they're not taking that they're afraid to even ask their boss if they can come in a half an hour later yeah um, because they want to drop off their kid at daycare yeah and and uh it's these aren't these aren't like junior people that are fighting for a gig. Yeah. I'm talking about like senior executives who are yeah. sitting around a table going, if I if I tell them though that I'm that that's the reason I'm coming in late, I'm like, wow, isn't that isn't that scary? So I love that making it safe. Yeah, and I, I think that you know I, I would hope that um, you know listen, every situation is different, right? I mean, in some places you don't have like you read the culture correctly and you can't do that in other places. I think just, you know, the silence builds up and like, I think there are a lot of potential allies out there for people. Um, I, in my experience, most managers would rather help their employees than not. Right. If they could find a way to do it. Um, most coworkers would help their coworkers if they can. Um, and or most spouses would help their husbands if their husbands seem to be struggling, but they don't talk about it. Right. Um, 
you know, I, but I think there's this like armor we put on that we can't show like kind of this vulnerability or that we need help. Um, so I, I really wish that more dads who, you know, were a little more senior in their careers or a little more, um, you know, had built up this track record of success or track record of credibility would just kind of stand up and say like, you know, I, I'm sorry, I have to leave early today because of blah and not make it a big deal. And there are a few dads that I talked to for, for the Working Dad Survival Guide book that, um, you know, were in the, in the situation that, that you talked about, but others who just made the decision to be like, you know what, I'm going to own this. And, um, you know, there, there's a guy who now is a top executive at a financial, uh, big financial firm who early in his career just had a conversation with his boss because he felt like he wasn't having enough time with his two young daughters. And they worked out that on Wednesdays, he didn't have to come into work until after lunch, which just gave him that one morning um, with his, his daughters, like one a week and they would do stuff together. And, and, you know, he might've burned out and left the company, right. Uh, if, if he didn't have this kind of accommodation in the short term, um, there's another dad who uh, he has, um, you know, he had to travel very, he had a very long commute. So we, but he was committed to, you know, coaching his son's little league, and you know, he he would have to leave by three or three thirty to be able to get home in time. And he would just check in with his team. Hey, anything you need for the rest of the day? No, we're good. Okay, and he would just up and leave. He wouldn't apologize. He didn't explain either. Uh, people kind of found out. People looked at him weird for a little while. And then nobody cared because his work continued to be good and, you know, the, the whole works. And then that gave more people confidence to, to kind of be more visible about what they were doing. So there's things that we could do, I think, if we're in a position to be uh, kind of role models in this, that, that we should take up that responsibility, um, make it easier for the next dad. I kind of say this, I, I've done some training for um, this one large company. Um, for expectant fathers who were planning their parental leaves. And that's the one thing I say both to them and to their, their supervisors during the training is you might be the first person that people know who are your first father who's taking an extended parental leave. And this company offers up to 12 weeks. You know, you have, first off, good for you, man, for doing it, for taking it. But secondly, like, and good for you employer for offering it. But, um, you kind of have a responsibility and it's not fair, but you have a responsibility to make sure this works. So mm. that like the next dad at your workplace who wants to take this leave, right? It's a little easier for them to do it because we've already seen it been done successfully. And maybe your cousin or your neighbor or your friends see that this really worked for you and they, it maybe gives them more confidence in their lives to do this. So, um, yeah, we need to, we, we need to do this. And, you know, I, I've, the, one of the things I found in talking about allies, um, I know that's a term that like we use for women in the workplace, like male allies for women. Mm -hmm. um, I think women have been great allies in, in this regard for, for, for fathers and, and working men. Um, you know, what I did with, um, you know, a lot of the opportunities I've gotten uh, have been, you know, women who have hired me on, um, uh, or, um, you know, even when I spoke at the, um, at the White House's uh, Summit for Working Families, uh, that was run by the Women's Bureau of the, of the U.S. Department of Labor, and they made sure that fathers and men were represented on the agenda and speaking. Um, and, 
you know, I think a lot of, for a lot of the reason is I think women see that if parental leave and, you know, workplace accommodation is just something for working women, right, then it's a self-perpetuating stereotype, right? Um, then it becomes something that holds women back in the workplace. But if everybody's doing this stuff, right, then there's less of a stigma attached to it. So it's a long-term way to to equal the playing fields at home, at work. But also, you know, if things are more equal at work, things might get more equal at home too. Um, because the presumption is, so again, I'm going to go on and on here, but uh, say you have a, a young couple who has a kid and they're very egalitarian. They want to split things 50-50. They both have careers. They both want to be active parents, but the mom is offered parental leave and can take it. And the dad yeah, maybe it's kind of offered, but he can't really take it. So she gets to be home for 10 weeks. He's home for a few days. She gets much more in tune with the baby. She learns how to take care of it because taking care of a baby, I mean, honestly, it's, it's hard work because it's like unrelenting and you get no sleep. But yeah. like changing diapers is not hard. Using a bottle is not hard, you know. Um, it's just time on task, right? Is, is, is all that's necessary. But what happens is the moms get the time on task. So they kind of become much more confident parents. And then they, it, it sets up a family dynamic where there's like the leader parent and like the, the semi-competent helper parent, right? Being the dad on the side. Um, and maybe if things were more equal in the workplace, right, then those dynamics wouldn't flow over to, to home because that, that couple that wanted to do everything 50-50, now the world is kind of pushing them into a non-50-50 kind of arrangement, right? So, um, so I think a lot of women's groups see the importance in making sure work families for everybody because it eliminates some of these imbalances and stigmas. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good point. Um... But there is still, like, there's still a lot of stigma out there. There's um, uh, a man I interviewed for this show, for the Men at Work podcast, Eric Arthrell. He's in Toronto, and he, he works at Deloitte. And he did a big study on the design of everyday men. Mm -hmm. And part of the rationale behind, and he was looking at what's, what's the reality men are facing in, in work and society and families today. Part of it is because he's doing the thing that you just described where him and his wife have decided they're like, we're going to do equal yep. rental leave. They both have careers that they love and they don't want to have to make the big, yep. um, you know, not one of them is going to make the bigger sacrifice. <laughs> but he's, when he talked to me on this podcast and he talked about just the fact that people are like, oh, okay, so you're, you're stepping, you're taking time off. It's like, no, no. Nope. He's like, I'm going to learn this new skill that I have yeah. no idea how to do, which is to take care of us like a baby girl. I don't know how to do that. I've never done yeah. it in my life. So I'm going to go learn how to do that. Um, and I'm going to allow my wife to go and fuel her career. Yeah. For and, you, you know, and yeah, so that's awesome. And related to that is a lot of guys, like a lot of girls, when they grow up, they're, they're babysitting or they help with their younger siblings and stuff. And, and boys don't often get those experiences. I mean, I had two younger cousins or I'm sorry, my niece and nephew, but I mean, I probably gave him a bottle or something at some point, but I never changed a diaper before my son um, and things like that. So there's even the learning curve that, that you're talking about there. Um, it was important, but I think that's great. Um, and I think we need, you know, more couples to kind of, to, I think more and more people are stating those are their values as a couple. Um, 
but then it then it's really hard to take the the step that or swim against the tide a little bit to make sure you're living those values. So um, that's a great example of, of a dad who is. It is. I mean, and you know, the, he, the Deloitte's got great um, yes. representation from their from their sure. uh, their CEO here in Canada, but I think that's a that is a, a missing area and is is at the very top, like in the C suite. There just aren't that many role models, and um, I mean, there's there are role models of like there you know there are great men in, in leadership there that are taking mm-hmm. leadership, but it seems to me that they're not exactly living um, out that kind of egalitarian or you know promoting the idea that yes it's it's good for men to be you know taking time away for family, and I I wonder. In you know, in, in what you're seeing out there, is this just a matter of time? You know, as millennials begin to take over as, as CEOs, yeah. is that going to happen, or do we is is there more? Yeah, I you know, I think it's part of it, but I think there has to be more too, because you know, if you look at the people who are in the C-suite, the men in these you know in these CEO CFO positions, um, almost universally have stay-at-home spouses. Really? Um, yeah, and the women who are in these positions are almost all childless. Uh, it, that's just how it is. Um, or wow. they, you know, had children a long time ago or, you know, just, you know, the things that are, you know, and then they're later in their careers and their, their kids are, are adults. And um, that's just the reality of it. And I think that you can have empathy for situations that you've never been in. Um, and in fact, you should, um, but <laughs> I think it's harder. And, you know, I think if there were people who get promoted to the C-suite who, um, really didn't have to navigate work and family with their spouse and make the decisions like the, the father you mentioned just, just, uh, just before, you know, maybe there'd be a little more perspective on, on how important this is. Um, so I, I don't think it's just generational. I think it's kind of life experienced. Um, so that's number one. Uh, number two is, you know, again, it, it varies so much. You're seeing startups who are run by younger men kind of being much more okay with flexibility and much more okay with, um, you know, kind of being your whole self at work. Um, so I think there, you know, you're outside of that structure, you know, um, but also, you know, big companies have, have slack resources to deal with this smaller companies. It's a little harder. Um, so it's, it's, it's not quite as, we can't just wait for the world to change, you know, for, and, and in 20 years it'll be okay. You know, it, it's just, uh, there's a lot of factors there. Um, but, you know, I, I actually, um, you know, you mentioned Deloitte um, and, you know, the big four accounting firms tend to be, you know, pretty forward on this in part because there are four big international employers who are competing against each other for the best talent. So they keep right. one-upping each other. Um, and so I've, I've, um, I've done some work and I, I've, I've, um, uh, been in, in good touch with a lot of people at EY and um, I, I remember reading last year that half of the people who were promoted to partnership had at some point done some sort of work family accommodation um, mm-hmm. in their careers, whether it was taking uh, a formal parental leave or doing a flex or, or something like that at some point in their career. And that's good. You know, that's starting to, to get those people into more decision-making positions. Um, their CEO, um, he told this great story. I, I remember he, he told this at the, the White House event. Um, and um, it was, he had just gotten the job. It was his, like his first week on the job. And he really talked it through with his family. Um, 
and you know they had this family meeting and he's talking to his teenage daughters and, and his wife and they said you can take the job but like, the one daughter said you have to be there for my driving test because we've been like practicing so his first week of the job he's in china giving a talk to all the partners out there and he gives his remarks and then there was going to be a big dinner afterwards and everything. But he's like, and you know what? I'm sorry. This is the end of my remarks. And I have to leave because I have to fly home and do the driving test with my daughter. And he just said it in front of everybody. And he laughed. And, you know, think about um, this was his first big introduction to a lot of people at EY. And secondly, um, Ian, I think, you know, this might have, um, especially being in China where there's a lot of, you know, uh, people senior should be doing certain things. And, you know, mm -hmm. so it, I think it was a real brave um, kind of thing to do, one. And two, it's something that lots of people at EY know this story. Um, and you were talking about visible role models and leadership. Um, you know, we could use more stories like that to build, you know, a, a, help build a culture and let, let, let people know it's okay. So. Yeah, do do more than just talk about the fact that there's a policy and say, oh, you know, we encourage you to take it, but to actually <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, you know, you hear about like Mark Zuckerberg took, you know, 12 weeks off and Prince William took, uh, you know, his 12-week parental leave from the uh, Royal Air Force. And, yeah. um, you know, there's, you know, there are some, the guy who, Tom's Shoes, whoever, uh, I forget the, the, the name of uh, it his name but uh he took a 12-week parental leave um and they did it on purpose you know to to kind of send a message now not that everybody has to do the same thing you should do what's right for you and your family and your situation but it'd be nice if that option were more seen as more available to more dads yeah i think that's that's a, a big piece i mean and and you really, I mean, Scott, you've really been on, on the front end of this thing. I mean, you, you kind of made it seem like, oh, well, in academia, it was an easy choice. I, I'm sure there weren't a lot of people that were like, yeah, this sounds like an amazing research thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. So it's interesting. So the work and family research field, right? So um, there are sociologists who do this and anthropologists and gender studies and in psychology and in the business school, like, and it's kind of this interdisciplinary area, but within at least the business school from when, you know, again, I'm talking about the nineties when I was in grad school, um, it was seen kind of as like this kind of secondary area that wasn't like hard business or hard management. And um, so I was kind of discouraged from pursuing this line, um, but I kind of persevered. I mean, I, um, I kind of, th that's my MO to some degree. Like, uh, you know, just, I'm going to keep running into the wall to like kind of break it down. Is kind of like what, yeah. what I do sometimes, um, you know, getting a book deal, you know, you get rejected by a lot of publishers, but you keep pushing and, you know, signing on with my speaking agency at first they turned me down. Um, and I, I came back to them. I'm like, no, like you're misreading the market here. Like, you know, wow. and yeah. And just, and, then it's worked out well. Um, you know, you just sometimes, so maybe it's just my, you know, maybe I overestimate myself. I don't know, but I, I often feel like, no, like I'm right. The rest of you are wrong and I'm just going to keep moving along on it. And that kind of served me well, I think back in the nineties when I wanted to pursue this research and my professors, well-meaning professors were saying, no, you should, you should do more work on performance evaluations or more work on, you know, um, you know, employee, um, you know, uh, employee compensation research. And I'm like, yeah, it's not what I'm interested in, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, and one of my professional role models is, um, uh, his name is Stu Friedman. Uh, he's a Wharton. He runs their work-life initiative. And he's got multiple books and he has this huge um, kind of research institute and, and, and a place where they do like uh, real couples counseling on this and, and everything else. And he was, I mean, he did the, this was back in the early 80s, I think, when he started. And he talks about how he was like, again, all of his his role models and his professors were like, what are you doing? Like, and he was, he was smart about it. He, he kind of backdoored it a little bit. So he frames um, kind of navigating work family as an exercise in self-leadership in leading one's family and in, in kind of leading one's life and one's career, um, which I think kind of masculizes the, the topic a bit. Right. Um, it does. In a I don't know way. if that's a word, but um, we, we you know, just made it up. Okay. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, but it makes it a little more accessible to guys, and which is why you know my book was the survival guide. And you know, if you look at other books for new dads, it's like, dude, you're gonna be dad, and you know yeah. things like that. Like, there's it's important, I think, to you know, um, you know, the what to expect when you're expecting, or what to expect the first year. You know, if you ever look at the the book covers you know, these are, they're very feminized and yeah. there's a lot of good information that dads like would learn a lot from. Uh, but um, I think you need to package things maybe in a way that's a little more, uh, you know, the National Fatherhood Institute here in the United States works with um, social service agencies on making sure that um, the messaging that goes out is accessible to, to men as well as women, to fathers as well as mothers. Um, you know, they, they've often, they've worked with uh, pediatricians offices to make sure it's not just pictures of moms and babies um, and things like that. You know, it's just like there, there's all these yeah, but subtle, it matters. I've it never does. thought well, about that, but it's true. And the thing is, so I was, I, I, I gave a talk at the working mother magazine conference um, on this topic. And I said, listen, ladies, I don't need to tell you about subtle signals that tell you, you don't belong right? I'm talking to a, a room of working professional <laughs> women. And I'm like, you get these signals all the time in a hundred different areas. This is the one area guys get it. Um, and, you know, when it's, uh, you know, it's funny, like I've, I've had this experience where I've been home during the day with my, my when my son was really young and my wife was working. And, you know, even if it's a delivery person or if I'm on the bus stop and somebody's like, Oh, I saw your babysitting today or like, like little comments like that, or, Oh, taking the day off. And I'll, you know, um, you know, uh, the, the, you know, or like dads, I don't know if you've probably experienced this, but when I, you know, I would take my son just to get out of the house when he was three or four, we'd go down to the local pizza place and, you know, I get these, these older couples who were, because who else is getting pizza at 11 in the morning? There's like older people and stuff. And they'll come up to me and be like, oh, you're such a good dad. And I'm like, you know, my wife does this all the time. You know, she never gets any compliments yeah. for it. You know, <laughs> it's like, mom. it should really be like, just like, no, he's, that, this is normal. This is nothing, you know, superhuman, you know, and there, it's a well-meaning compliment. So you take the compliment, but like, I, I often, you know, just try to say, you know, thank you, but, you know, I'm just being a parent and, you know, moms do this too. And um, the National At-Home Dads Network actually sells t-shirts that says, dads don't babysit. Um, wow. Because they get that all the time. If they're an at-home dad and they're in the park with their kids uh, or the playgrounds and they're the one dad at the playgrounds, 
um, they get that comment or they get looked at like, why is there a man here looking at all these children at the, you know, like, like yeah. they really, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and there's, you know, they face a lot more stigma than, than working dads, I think do. But um, it's, uh, you know, those are some, some of those subtle and maybe sometimes not so subtle signals. You know, I, one of my best friends from college, he had a really nice career. Um, and, you know, he and his wife were both kind of climbing the same corporate ladder at the same company. And when they finally, you know, were able to have their kid, um, they decided what's best for the family was he was going to stay home and she was going to keep on in her career. And his, like his parents and like a lot of his social networks, like, what are you doing? You have an Ivy league degree and you've had this great career. What are you throwing this away for? And he's like, you know, too bad people. Like, and I was like, good for you, man. Um, And like, he, you know, um, he needed to hear more good for you, man, versus, you know, like kind of questioning. Um, People wouldn't have questioned his wife. I don't think if, if, if she did that, you know, and it's, um, it would just be nice if gender would taken out of this, right? And people could live and make the choices that work best for them and for their family situation. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, well, I mean, I've, I've been, I've been guilty of it myself, even just saying, you know, especially with my first daughter, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm babysitting today. And, you know, just kind of allowing that to slough off. <laughs> but it's interesting when, you, when I think about your, you know, your trailblazing of this research in the nineties and, you know, being like a, you know, like a man walking through a wall. It, it's, it, a lot of that is a really, um, what we're looking for today is for men to be able to say, no, 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 I'm right. I'm going to take the time off. Yeah. Like the rest of, of society is wrong. And, um, I mean, you've done, you've done so much in, in the world of, of working dads, you've got the book, you've done all the research, the blog, all the speaking engagements, where are, where are your sites set now? Right. So the next project is, um, yeah, I'm still going to keep a foot in the fatherhood kind of world, but the next uh, project I'm working on, in fact, I'm kind of finishing it up now is I have a book proposal just about done for a book for employers on how they could be more family forward or more family supportive. And there's lots of case studies, you know, we kind of talked about companies that have been doing the right thing um, of companies, large and small, who have done things large and small uh, to be, kind of more mindful employers about work and family uh, issues. Um, so that's where, that's my next project. Um, so uh, all, if all goes well in a year and a half or so, you'll have me back on this podcast to talk about the book launch and stuff. Uh, I will. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me is like the next step. It's like, we, we take it off the, hey, dad, how do you survive the reality? And then, hey, employers, how do we create a better reality? Well, because I really think that there are a lot of them it's on employers radar now. And I think it's on a lot of managers and supervisors radar now. And I think a lot of people would do the right thing if they had more confidence that, you know, the world's not going to collapse. If I, if, you know, one of my employees is gone for, or is on leave for six weeks. Right. Um, You know, I think, you know, or, Oh, the, you know, how do I know if somebody's working, if they're at home that day working, like, right. It's like, well, you know, lots of people have figured these things out, you know um, you know, in terms of parental leave, even for a smaller employer who maybe, you know, I, I've talked to, I've I recently talked to the employers association in New Jersey, which is a collection of small employers. And um, you know, their question is like, yeah, I'm all for this, except I have 25 people 
I have two people in my accounting department. If one of them is on parental leave for six weeks, you know, that's a big hole in my operations. And I said, well, yes. And, um, you know, maybe there's some cross training you could do. Maybe there's some, you know, there, there's some ways to, um, you know, start allowing before somebody goes, start, you know, doing some work from home so that maybe if the person's on parental leave, maybe it works better for them if they could, you know, work one or two days a week kind of online and, and you know, or things like that. Um, the good thing about parental leave is most employers know it's coming, right? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it's something that can be planned for. Um, so, um, and then of course, larger employers, you know, um, have, have, have a wider array of, of things they could do. But um, I think that, um, you know, uh, again, uh, I want to write a book that is advice and encouragement from the employer, I guess. And this will be a little less like a barbecue and a little more like a consultant speak book. But, um, you know, that's, that's my next kind of goal. Um, of course, I want to continue to do a good job at my job. Um, I, I want to continue to be a, a really good husband and father. And, you know, that's the most important thing. Um, and I guess the, the one other thing I'll say is, you know, and my career is a little more, is more flexible than most people's, but I feel like I do a really good job. Like I would get an A in my two most important things I need to do at work. And I think that gives me more freedom to do other things a little more flexibly or a little on my own or a little more idiosyncratically. And I guess that would be some advice I'd have for, for you know, uh, a dad out there um, who might be starting a family in a couple of years. It's like, you know, get recognized that, you know, you are, you live up to what you say you're going to do. You do really good work and, you know, maybe start, you know, working a little more flexibly before the, the flood comes, before the, um, you know, uh, before you know, you need the, the big accommodation, give them confidence that, that you'll use it responsibly and you'll get less brushback probably. One of the things that, that I have found, um, and I love that you're bringing it out is that, is that actions speak louder than words for, you know, to, to borrow, um, a fairly trite term, but it's important. And there are, there are a lot of, uh, male executives or male senior leaders in organizations who, who speak about the idea of gender equality or who speak about the idea of mm -hmm. showing up in a more human way and their behavior is not always super aligned. And I agree yep. with you. It's way more important to, you know, to almost say nothing and to, you know, embody or to be the way that, that, you know, you help others can be. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of companies want the, and managers, I think want the credit for being like open-minded without ever having to do anything about it. <laughs> Um, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, we have this policy. Aren't we great? Yeah. Don't use it though. Um, right. Uh, or that, that kind of message. Um, but by the way, um, can, can I just, you, can I shift gears here? Yeah, just, please. Um, a little bit about my life. Cause, cause I, I kind of have a, a, an interesting kind of work life, uh, dynamic in, in, in my family. Um, so, so one of the things I, I feel like I've done a pretty good job with this. And thanks to my my fantastic wife, um, but she's a, a theater actress and director, and so she has this really weird career that um, she's 
she stretches where she's just home and around. She has stretches where she's working, uh, which is if it's in a city, it's like 10 till six um, in, during rehearsal time. And then if there's a show, it's evenings and weekends. Um, and, or she's in the in-between where she's auditioning and hustling and stuff. And that's like an audition tomorrow or a class tonight or something that like very emergency-ish. And you can't miss an audition and you can't miss a rehearsal and, and things like that. That's one of those jobs that the work hours are clearly defined, even if they're ever shifting. Uh, you can't like flex time your rehearsal, right? You can't like uh, telecommute your rehearsal. Um, so knowing that she had this crazy work schedule that was always changing and very demanding, um, you know, it forced us when we were getting married and then before we had our son to really have explicit conversation. She's like, listen, if this is going to work, you know, we have to really hash this out. And then when we were, you know, when she was pregnant with our son, we really talked about what this was going to mean for me, you know, and luckily I'm an academic, which, means, you know, again, I, I said this before, you know, I have 20-ish hours a week. I have to be on campus. I have lots of other work to do. Uh, there are always papers to grade. There are always papers to write. Um, I'm kind of a person who gets involved in a lot of stuff. So I do extra committee work at the university. I'm blogging and writing books and, you know, doing some side hustle and stuff like that. I've always done that. But, um, the fact is, I've had to talk to my supervisors. I've had to talk to, um, you know, I, I've always, I, for a long time, had to be the on-call parent or the, the you know, um, that if the school had a question, they had, it was me because my wife was in the city and could not leave until 11 o'clock or whatever, you know. Um, so it gave me this different perspective because I, you know, I really, I did, I do lots of the doctor's appointments and lots of the, you know, you know, I was home with my, my baby son for, for at least as much as my wife was. Um, and I feel really lucky and privileged to have had that response, that responsibility and that, that this experience. But, um, you know, my wife has the, my wife's a fantastic wife and mom, and she, um, you know, I'm sure does more than her fair share, but, um, you know, when it comes to time, uh, time limited things, you know, a lot of times I'm the primary parent and, um, that's really informed my writing and research as time has gone on. Because again, as I told you, I started doing research in this area before I became a dad. Um, but it led me to really believe that, you know, if couples are on the same wavelength and we really talk about it, um, you know, then you work out an arrangement for your family that works for you. And then that's what I've always, you know, if you want to be a traditional couple, great. As long as you talk about it, if you drift into being a traditional couple when neither side wants it, well, that's a problem, right? Um, if, you know, how, whatever family arrangement you want to make, as long as you're financially okay and, and both sides are okay about it, um, then, you know, that's what you should do. And, uh, again, my job by its nature, I have a lot of autonomy, but I did have to work with my, you know, um, I teach during the daytime. I teach undergrads. I don't teach evening and weekend MBAs anymore um, because my wife often works evenings and weekends. And when my son was, he's now 14, so probably I could, but um, back when he was three, I couldn't do that. 
you know, um, especially because there's no daycare on evenings and weekends. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, the life, the world is not set up for people with non-traditional schedules. Anyway, so um, I, I guess I'm saying all this not to pat myself on the back, but that it really, my experience led me to, um, to understand that's, that, you know, certain things can really be helpful in constructing um, kind of a, a work-life balance that, that kind of is workable, you know, and I've turned down opportunities. I did not become department chair when it was offered to me. Um, I have turned down certain side hustles, um, you know, because it's like, it just doesn't fit, you know? Um, and, you know, sometimes I really push into work when my wife's home. Sometimes she really pushes into work and I pick up the slack. Um, you know, it's, so it's, uh, my experience has been kind of, uh, helpful for my, my, uh, my career in thinking about this. It's, it sounds like it's been hugely helpful. I mean, I've, I've, uh, you know, similar, had a similar experience as well. Um, you know, with the evenings and weekends thing, I think the, the, the big point I'm, I'm taking away here is the idea that it, it's important to actually talk about it with your spouse. You're, you know, maybe even um, before you embark on um, the parenting journey, but to and to keep having it. I mean, one of the, I think what I know now as a as a father whose kids are, are a little older, you know, nine and twelve, is that there's a there's a period of time where it is all in, encompassing. Like your your job is to take care of this tiny human, mm -hmm. and and it is you know, a massive, massive commitment of time and energy. And it, I don't think that ever goes away. It hasn't gone away, but it's different yeah. in the sense that like, you know, you and I right now are recording a podcast, right? Yeah. Um, well, upstairs, my daughter, she's 12 years old. She's getting ready for school. Like, I don't need to, you know, put her pants yeah. on for her anymore. So things change as yes. well. Oh, God, yes. Keep the conversation I evolving as, as a father. But I also I love to tell uh, fathers of like infants right now that it gets better. Like it, <laughs> like it just you once you, like you stop changing diapers, it gets better. Once they start going to like school, it gets better. Um, I mean, things you know, uh, there's things you miss. But I love fourteen year old Nick uh, very very much. I loved eight year old Nick. I loved three year old Nick. I loved baby Nick. But you know, I, I'm talking to him about his first quasi girlfriend now, you know, and so the challenges as a parent are a little different. But yeah, like you say, you're not, you know, the blocking and tackling goes away a little bit, which is a real relief. I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you there. No, no, it's, ex it's exactly, you know, the point I, I was trying to drive <laughs> home as well. And it, it, it evolves. And I, I think it's, it is so important to, to be, you know, and, and even, you know, even for, as you said, you know, just to have the conversation, you know, there's yeah. maybe a lot of, you know, maybe a lot of single parents out there or people's like, I don't have the option of having the conversation. It's like, well, you're having the conversation with your supervisor or with whoever. And, um, you know, taking it back to that human level where we're saying, yeah. Hey, you know, human to human, I could really benefit from coming in at nine 30 on, you know, Wednesday and Friday. Can we work something out? Um, my experience has been people are generally amenable to it if you have a job that can uh, support it. Yeah, yeah, and also I think if you built up the credibility too that you won't leave them hanging or or something like that. I think that's really important. By the way, Stuart Friedman, who you probably come across his work, 
Um, he has a forthcoming book that really specifically uh, deals with couples and how couples can navigate this together. Um, uh, I reviewed an early copy of it, um, but um, it won't be coming out for a little bit now. But Stuart Friedman at Wharton, he's at the Wharton Work Life Initiative. Um, he's been a kind of a professional role model of mine. He was doing this stuff the 70s and 80s so uh wow yeah. yeah yeah well i thought you had an uphill battle when you were diving <laughs> into it man that that cannot have been easy well you know it's it's interesting so he wrote the forward to to my book um and you know he says like he said when he started in the fields of work and life in 1987 uh no one would have thought to write this book uh, in fact he said that his colleagues and mentors who truly had it? Do you hear that siren? Yeah, it's okay. It's not a big okay. deal. Um, sorry. Um, you know, he, he says that uh, the people, you know, his his mentors and and the his his professors, they were all like, "Why are you doing this? Why are you going into a, a quote unquote woman's field?" Um, I got a little bit of that too. And that was 99, I guess, when I got my doctorate. But um, when I chose to do this as my dissertation, um, they were like, really? Like, you could do more than, like, it was almost like this backwater thing. And it's not anymore. But it's certainly within the field of management or, or human resources. It's kind of front and center now. And honestly, in a lot of ways, being in a newer field, um, and being able to focus on fathers in a way that maybe some other researchers in my area don't, you know, they, they don't quite have the life experience that can inform their research. Uh, it's been really beneficial, actually. Um, being one of a handful of male academics looking at work life has been really good for my career. <laughs> um, you, you know, um, when when a company needs a speaker on this or you know the white house is holding an event and they need somebody to talk about work family and dads like you know i don't know if i'm really that great it's just you know i, I think i found a, a niche that that turned out to be in demand and you know i was able to fill it you know um i don't know yeah and you're starting a conversation that very few men in history have had the courage to start or you let's say you're rekindling or continuing or taking a new angle on um and well, that's I felt about the, the blog you know like so i'm an academic right so i'm, I'm used to like the safe cushy you know, like not being criticized by others too often right I'm, you know tenured professor what, what safer job can you get right <laughs> and then i was like let me start a blog in this and i'm like oh my god maybe nobody's ever going to read this like maybe i'll just be like you know get a giant collective yawn from the universe and the fact is though like people wanted this information you know and i think it was much more that that you know things kind of moved fairly quickly once i started doing public facing work there was a demand for it there was an unmet need for it um i think there still is and i'm glad that you have a podcast that deals with these issues and um you know i think it's really um i bet it's really, really helpful to more people than you think. Yes. I mean, I a hundred percent agree. I, I wasn't sure if I'd be stepping into the echo chamber um, right. and you, know, you, you never know. Um, but then you, when you give people license to talk about an issue that 
it feels like it might be taboo or just it's too much of a battle to try to fight. Uh, all of a sudden, I think some great things happen and, and your, your research and your book and your courage are just really a great example of what happens when you give voice to a conversation that is tough. Let's face it. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, the, the, the plight of men is not exactly a, uh, a topic most people are keen to talk yeah. about. Um, and so, and that's, that's not the angle that I'm taking. It's like, oh, you know, men are so hard done by. It's more like, if we're going to tackle this problem or this challenge together, you know, as men, women, or otherwise tackling this thing together, well, we have to understand the, the reality of men um, and, yeah. you know, why, why they might not be talking about these things or, you know, the fact that, you know, the secretly they desire the same things that we want. You know, they want to be involved in their kids' lives. They want to be, have, have a family. They don't want to be working all the time, but they're afraid to not do that. Yeah. Um, this all helps the conversation advance in the right direction. Um, and so it's a super important conversation and I'm really glad that we got a chance to have it and that my listeners will get a chance to get access to it and that you're working on a new book. Um, so I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious, just, I'm going to link up a lot of stuff in the show notes, Scott, but you know, even just for, for simplicity of listening, where can people go to find out more about your work, about your book, about your research? Where do they go? Okay, well, scottbeeson.com, just my full name. And it's pronounced Beeson, but has an H in it. So, um, you know, S-C-O-T-T, um, B-E-H-S-O-N.com. Kind of has links to everywhere else I'm, go uh, I'm at. So there's a page for the Working Dad Survival Guide, uh, which is available, you know, probably your easiest place to go is just go to Amazon and, you know, put that in your search function there. Um, you know, honestly, I don't blog as much as I used to, but fathersworkandfamily.com is, is my blog. I like really long URLs. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my Twitter handle is at Scott Beeson. Um, and I do have a Facebook um, page for Fathers Work and Family as well. Yeah. Um, well, let me, let me I say that much you know, better at staying up on all those things. That's, you know, in the world of prioritizing my, where my time is spent with work and family, um, kind of the, the social media side has fallen a little bit by the wayside and that's okay. You know, I, I, I feel like I, I want to get an A as a business school professor. I want to get an A as a father and husband and, you know, I could get a C or something in, my social media use. All right. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Um, for, for my listeners out there, the, the content on Scott's blog is it's fairly timeless. So it might be written in 2015 or 2014, but let me assure you that it is still relevant today. Um, and there's some really useful stuff. One of my favorite posts that you have on there is about the beer fire, which will ah, leave, yes. we'll leave that as a mystery for my listeners to go <laughs> and uh, figure out what beer fire is all We're about. We're having our first beer fire of the summer uh, on Wednesday night. So, when, so tomorrow, tonight yeah, or, or tonight, next Wednesday? Yes, that's tonight. Tonight. Yes. Tonight. Okay. Yes. So tonight, Wednesday, <laughs> if you happen to be hanging out in Scott's neighborhood, you can go check <laughs> out and figure out what the mystery behind the, the beer fire is. It's a, a dad's only event. Um, so, well, Scott, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your time, for having the courage to start this conversation, you know, back in 1999. 
and for continuing to push it. You've been a great voice for dads out there. You've got um, such great insight on what's going on in the world of, uh, of dads and the world of families. And I am keenly awaiting the arrival of your next book but I've still got to get my copy of your current one. So I'm going to make that happen. And I will link up everything for my listeners that we talked about in the show notes. Okay. Um, yeah. So just, just amazon.com. Nice one click purchase. Very easy. One right. click. Yeah. Well, the Canadian <laughs> listeners, we've got to be careful. I don't know if we can do one click here. It might be two clicks. Things are a bit right, slower right. up North. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Great. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. This was uh, fun to talk about you know, kind of a wide sweep of uh, a lot of stuff I've, I've done for a long time. So thanks. That's great, Scott. Thank you so much. Okay, that's it for episode 18, our Father's Day special with Scott Beeson. Like I said, Scott's just got a ton of wisdom and just some really good practical guidance out there, whether you're working in an organization, running an HR department, or just a dad looking for a little bit of extra guidance. If you like this episode, as always, please send me some love through iTunes, through SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever else you listen to your podcast. I am always looking for interesting guests to have on the show. So if you have ideas around that, you can message me on Instagram. You can go to my website, travisstreb.com, and you can leave your ideas in the comments section, or you can contact me directly through the website as well. All right, we'll look forward to talking to you all next week on the Men at Work podcast.